Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No internet. No GPS. No text messages. No podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. I'm George from Jersey, joined this week by Rich and Craig, and later probably Jim as well. How you guys doing? Doing pretty good. Doing fine, sir. Uh, good to be here. And are you guys ready to talk Fear the Walking Dead? I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm gonna, afraid so. We're going to be talking about the pilot of Fear the Walking Dead tonight, the uh, spinoff slash prequel for The Walking Dead, which aired as we record this anyway, last night on AMC. Uh, just general thoughts, gentlemen. What did you think of the pilot of Fear the Walking Dead? Lots of really good scenes of stuff that I was wanting to see. Lots of really nice homages to George Romero. Strung together by very slow-burned, boring bits of what could have been better character development, but seemed to have just got stretched out for it to be a 90-minute premiere. Yeah, I mean, I overall was comparing it in my mind to the Walking Dead you know, pilot, and then I had to stop doing that because it's a different show, and I looked at it differently just as if I was watching the show for the first time. You're right, it was stretched out a little bit long. I overall liked it, and the pace wasn't so bad, um, but it did have its flaws. Yeah, I didn't think it was perfect, but I thought it was what it needed to be, probably. And and you're right, it probably was stretched out a little bit for the 90 minutes, but I didn't think it was too boring or too slow. I thought it was probably what it needed to be if it's going to be a long-running show, which, based on the ratings from last night, which we'll talk about, it probably will be, but it was probably slower than the average Walking Dead fan would want it to be. Although, again, I, I do think that was kind of necessary for the first episode of what the show is going to be. But we'll, we'll get into that um, as we talk about the show. We also have Aaron's thoughts um, about the episode. He sent them in because he couldn't be here tonight. But we'll probably get to them later. Probably when we go to do our busters. Or, Craig, what was your uh, your recommendation for what we call our ratings for the Fear of the Walking Dead episodes? I mean, it seemed natural to call it Glorious because of that was the first zombie we saw. I mean, that, that's it, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, it, once I heard the name, I said, I that's it. Yeah. Of course, it was our very own Brad Milo who came up with Busters, uh, so we will, of course, remember him with those, but uh, maybe we'll do Glorious. <laughs> I mean, t- people, when they tend, when they send theirs in, tend to do whatever they want to do as kind of a funny joke, and, and uh, I'm fine with that as well, so yeah, whatever Aaron, we call them, it doesn't really matter. But uh, Aaron came up with a unique one there. For, for what did, he, what did he say? I didn't see his. Yeah. Um, I forget what his rating was, but it was knife-wielding Tobias's. <laughs> <laughs> There are dozens of us. Dozens. 
So last night's uh, pilot airing on AMC uh, had some very good uh, ratings. Uh, This is from Variety, by the way. Nielsen estimates that the 90-minute debut of Fear the Walking Dead was the number one rated cable series launch on record with 10.1 million viewers, including 6.3 million adults in the 18 to 49 demographic. That's, of course, the one that that matters for advertisers, uh, or at least matters the most. Wow. So very good premiere there. Uh, the previous record, by the way, was also on AMC, and that was Better Call Saul with 4.4 million earlier this year. And uh, unsurprisingly, 10.1 is just a bit higher than 4.4. So that's a big jump. I'm looking at similar article on comicbook.com, and they mention in here that they mentioned Better Call Saul as well, but they, that AMC has three out of the top five uh, cable premieres in, in history and that and number one fear number two better call Saul and then number five is the Walking Dead premiere doesn't say what the other two were or what but um, that's pretty that speaks volumes for AMC I mean AMC has given us some pretty strong programming over the last five six years um, except for a few you know side steps here and there like low winter sun and and other stuff like that that just didn't really do well yeah, that's really right, impressive. Right. I mean, and they did a really good job of hyping the show. I think they didn't go too nuts with it, but they 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 started playing The Walking Dead a lot with a week leading up to the show premiere. They had a lot of little teasers out there on YouTube, um, the Comic Con stuff that was there, you know, the little snippets, the posters. They did a really good hype job for the show, but they did it just right to to pique everyone pique everyone's interest, and apparently it worked. Yeah, and just so you know, the lead in to Fear the Walking Dead, which was Talking Dead Season 6 uh, preview. Uh, it had 4.2 million viewers. So, What, what was Saul? 4.6? <laughs> uh, Saul was 4.4. Uh, <laughs> wow. Just them talking on a couch. Which, speaking of Better Call Saul, we should bring up last, uh, or I guess about two weeks ago now, uh, Russ and I sat down and had a long discussion about uh, Mad Men, which just wrapped up its final season uh, very recently, and the first season of Better Call Saul, and a little bit of Breaking Bad in there, but mostly Mad Men and and Better Call Saul. Uh, That was episode 139 on this very feed, so if you missed that episode, and you're a fan of uh, either Mad Men or Better Call Saul, which we we split the conversations, uh, so you don't have to worry about spoilers for one in the other, um, be sure to check that out because it was a very fun episode the two of us did there. But this is episode 140 and this is our pilot discussion. So shall we jump into the episode discussion, gentlemen? Let's jump. Alrighty. So pilot was directed by Adam Davidson, who also directed the second and third episodes as we go into there. And it was written by Robert Kirkman and Dave Erickson, which I believe Dave Erickson is the showrunner for Fear the Walking Dead. So we got that right there. And it was a 90-minute episode, which I had forgotten about when I started watching it, but when it didn't end at, at 10 o'clock, uh, it quickly dawned on me. Amazing how that clock thing works. <laughs> so let's talk about our cast first, because if you are like me, you may have missed some of the names last night. In fact, in my notes, I was telling the guys before we started recording, uh, Kim Dickens' character, I only have her listed in my notes as female lead, and later FL, because it was faster to type, because I never once caught her name in the episode. Uh, I'm, I'm told it was said at least once in there, but I didn't get that name. I had most of the other names, just not that one. So she, uh, Kim Dickens, plays Madison Clark, a high school guidance counselor, uh, Travis's fiance, and the single mother of Alicia and Nick. Uh, Cliff Curtis plays Travis Manoa, a high school English teacher, Madison's fiance, and a divorcee who shares custody of his son Chris with his ex-wife Liza, who I believe are only in one scene each um, in this pilot. 
We have Frank Delane as Nick Clark, Madison's son, who is flunked out of college and is battling a drug problem. Uh, Alicia Debnam Carey as Alicia Clark, spelled differently, even though it's the same as her first name. Uh, Madison's high-achieving and ambitious daughter, who is in a relationship with her boyfriend, Matt. Uh, she is able to read situations well and often finds herself at odds with Nick due to his unmotivated nature. Well, that's an uh, interesting way of putting that. Uh, Elizabeth Rodriguez as Lisa Ortiz, Travis's ex-wife and mother of their son, Chris, a free-spirited bohemian type. She is attempting to rebound from her disastrous marriage and is in nursing school. And you may re- recognize her from Orange is the New Black. And then we have a couple other people as well, but we're going to skip that part of the main cast and head into the episode discussion. We start uh, in inside the abandoned church, which has kind of become a drug den, which we've seen in a lot of the trailers. A guy, who we'll later find out is Nick, wakes up in the church and he calls for Gloria. He gets up, he hears some clanging noises from beneath him in the church, but there's no sign of Gloria. Uh, There's some screaming, he sees blood on a piano on stairs, there's a dead guy, and then a zombie woman uh, gets up and we see that she's been eating a man and we find out this is Gloria. Uh, He gets scared of her because she is a zombie and she has a knife in her chest. He runs out into the street, he gets hit by a car, but first there's a nice fake out with a motorcycle, which I liked, and then we get a nice crane shot of Los Angeles and then we go into our theme. So just there with that opening, what'd you think? Did you notice that she didn't have much blood where the knife was, though? It seemed to be in the shirt, wasn't it? Kind of collected in her shirt, it looked like? Well, I I have a theory that, you know, using the knowledge that we have from The Walking Dead proper, um, that everybody has the the virus or whatever it is, I'm betting that, you know, because she took the stuff with him, I'm betting she OD'd and died. And came back as a zombie, and that was one of the other druggies defending themselves against her putting the knife in her chest. Oh, that's certainly possible. That's pretty clever. So it was like walker blood, which doesn't flow as fast as regular blood. Okay, I see what you're saying. I mean, we saw two dead bodies in that church, right? You saw the guy with the beard first on the stairs, and then you saw the one that Gloria was eating, right? Did I miss any others, or that was pretty much... uh... We saw blood in other places, but I don't think okay. we saw any other bodies. Yeah, I think that's the only bodies that we saw at that point, yeah. Okay. No, pretty cool. I, I liked it. And, you know, the opening scene, too, the music totally set it off different from the the other show. Uh, it was definitely synthesized and very, you know, dramatic. And I thought maybe it would be the same same music composer as, as the original, but it's not. It's actually, uh, I looked it up, Paul Hasslinger. He came from Tangerine Dream, which great stuff came out of them back in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, um, so very cool already. It set the tone right way for that episode, for the whole show, actually. I was just wondering about that because I really enjoy Bear McCreary's work, um, not just on The Walking Dead, but on many things. And I was wondering because it it definitely doesn't have his signature to it. So he's more orchestrated. Yeah, right, he's more like right. orchestra, violins, and, you know, things like that. This guy's synthesizer. It's, you know, German, you know, synthesizer style, and it, it, it popped out. I'm right. like, wow, it sounded good. Yeah. McCurry also known for his percussion work as well, mm-hmm. um, which is, was a different take on that. Uh, then we come to the theme, which was very different from the Walking Dead theme. Um, it's very reminiscent of Lost on this one. Um, there's just a hint of melody in the background, but black screen, Fear the Walking Dead, uh, the creating created by credits and then straight into commercial. It was like ten seconds, right? It wasn't even that long. I mean, it was right the uh, the opening theme. Yeah, about that, maybe fifteen. I didn't count, but somewhere in there. Yeah. So we come back from commercial and we uh, meet our main family for the show. They're getting ready for the day. Uh, there's a phone call and they find out their son is in hospital. It's Nick. Um, 
he's a heroin addict, we find out, and his name is Nick. Um, he's being questioned by the police about his ranting when uh, he was hit by the car uh, because he was talking about the zombies, but he denies it now um, when they go in to, to talk to him. And there's an old man in, the, in this room on the other side of a curtain, and at least in my notes it says, he'll almost certainly die in turn, but surprisingly that doesn't happen. I was convinced... I, me too. I was waiting and waiting for it. Because they have him restrained on the bed. Yeah. And I'm like, the old guy's going to turn. That's going to be your big dramatic moment here in the episode is he's going to be strapped to this bed and the zombie's going to be coming at him. And will he be able to get away? Nope. They, they do something completely different. Was it because he was strapped to the bed? Is that what it was? You said, okay, he's trapped and this, this old guy's going to die. I mean, you just saw it right there, huh? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I was like, well, I, now I know where well, this is going. And surprisingly, they went a different direction. Yeah. And later, and we'll get into it, but later they do something in that room that I you just think, okay, here it comes, but it doesn't, you know? So it, 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 they definitely pulled the rug out from you on that one. Yeah, although I got to say, I think what I thought was going to happen would have been more exciting than what did happen, but it still worked out just fine. I totally agree. Uh, so uh, Cliff Curtis, uh, Travis, calls up his ex-wife, Lisa, um, and, you know, we're finding out a whole bunch of different things about this family as we go in. The daughter, Alicia, she's... At first, I thought she was supposed to be, like, the troubled, like, rebellious daughter, but, like, a really lame version of that. But it doesn't seem like she is. She's just kind of a normal, artsy teenager. Uh, Nick, who's the older son, who's out of the house now, heroin addict, kind of the black sheep of the family. You've got uh, the half-son, who we only see in the one scene uh, with his mother, Lisa, don't really get a read on him, except he's not thrilled about the whole divorce situation, but that's pretty much all we know about him. And the, the mother seems to be the most, I don't want to say normal, Madison that is, but she's the most logical, maybe, of the of the cast. She seems to be our lead. Um, you know, if you had to pick one between her and Cliff Curtis, um, I, I would say she seems like she's the lead. I, I can see that, but, you know, with with the way that the story was constructed and put together over the 90 minutes, I felt more like Nick was the lead, or at least, you know, who we were following for the most part, because, I don't know, the the whole story arc of this first pilot episode feels like it's, like it's through his eyes in a way. Oh, I agree with you. It is through his eyes a lot. He's the one who sets a lot of it in motion. But I don't get the sense that outside of the pilot, he's the leader. At least I hope not. I didn't dislike the character or the actor, but I'm much more interested in the parents than I am in him. Yeah, I think this is All definitely right. Nick's story. At least this episode is. I mean, you're right. right. It could change the next episode of the way. But this is definitely his story. And, and the, I mean, of course, Madison, you see a lot of her and, and Travis, too. But it's it's about him. And I read also that they spent a lot of time, the showrunner that was, uh, that would be... Uh, Dave Erickson spent a lot of co- time casting the character of Nick. They went through a lot of actors, apparently, so maybe they have a lot more in store for him. Who knows? It's quite possible. I mean, you, you can assume, based on the character, that he's going to have to deal with withdrawal in, in upcoming episodes. He's going to have to deal with, you know, different things. He certainly has some interesting things to do, don't get me wrong. Um, and I, I liked him in this. And apparently he's a British actor. I saw some people complaining about his American accent. It didn't stick out to me at all when watching the episode. All three I had of no them idea. Are. Yeah. No, all but, three of them are. I think, uh, you know, Cliff Curtis is not American. Uh, neither is uh, the actor that, plays, that Nick is. Um, who is that here? Let me pull it up. Nick is played by, what, Frank Delane? Yes. Yeah. And he's, I don't know where he's from. He definitely sounds British. And then Alicia Debnam Carey is also not American. So the three of the four main ones are not American. Right oh, there. really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he, he is from London. I'm looking up uh, looking it up here. I guess we're not yeah. growing any good actors nowadays. I don't know what it is here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, he was born in in London. Yeah. Um, well, his father, Stephen Delane. Oh, yeah, okay. So. Um, the other thing, too, though, it, to your comment about the parents being interesting is Cliff Curtis, I, I, I could see where a lot of this, at least this little six-episode mini-season that we're getting, um, I, I have a feeling what his arc is going to be is you, you got all the kids pretty much mad at him. His own son's mad at him. His uh, girlfriend's daughter definitely is not fond of him. And, you know, his girlfriend's son obviously didn't, you know, was mad that he showed up to the hospital. Not mad, but just, you know, he's like, why'd you bring him? And all this other stuff. And I think what's going to happen is he's going to be the one that rallies them together, makes sure they're safe, helps them through the initial days of the zombie apocalypse. And it's going to be all of those, all of that family. And maybe even, I have a feeling that his ex-wife is going to be Walker bait, but I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Liza, but seeing but as she has a, another very successful show, um, I have a feeling that she won't yeah. be long for the world in in this one at least. But I, I can just see that that's what this season, this six episode season is going to be, is a lot of rallying around him. I mean, it's possible. He seems to be a little bit more of a jokester, a little bit more lighthearted than Madison. Um, I kind of saw him as I don't know, kind of the Glenn in terms of character type. You know, he'll—he's quick to a joke. He's quick to disarming a situation, right? That kind of thing. Madison's more to business, yeah. and we like already see Nick kind of bonding with him in a way. I yeah. like that. Yeah, that was cool. I did like seeing it in the hospital, especially. They were talking a lot there. I mean, getting ahead a little bit, but that was a cool scene when they were—they were kind of bonding and, and sharing a moment there. I heard some, my, you know, talking to a couple of people that watched the show too. That you know, Kim Dickens came off or Madison Clark came off as you know being a little obnoxious or a little uh, arrogant or something like that. I said, look, it's not as bad as Laurie. Okay, it's not as bad as it could have been. <laughs> there, so yeah, I, exactly. She's already a better parent than Laurie. She at least knows where one of her kids are. Exactly. What did, uh, what did they find? Why did they think she was um, obnoxious? I'm trying to think of anything that she did that would be even remotely she's a, obnoxious. She's a guidance counselor. I mean, that's enough said. I mean, yeah, I, I guess, I don't know, like when her son was in trouble, and she's like, yeah, well, bad things happened there at the church. It's like, you know, it's like almost like she didn't care at that point. It sounded very, you know, like call, callous of her. And I said, look, just getting to know her, but already she's a lot better than the other female leads we've had in the show for the most part, <laughs> the, the, the original show, that is. So. I, know, I, I found her to be more logical, and so that she was dismissive of crazy things is not crazy, even though we know in this world it's going to end up being the, the reality, even though it seems crazy now. But she seemed very logical and, you know, head on straight, that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, down it, there. It puts yeah. us in a weird, you know, cognitive dissidence you know, narrative irony type thing where we know that all these bad things are going to happen and none of these characters do. So when they act logically and like a normal, rational adult, like she does, we know in the back of our minds or at the forefront of our minds, as it may be, that they're making the wrong decision. But at least at this point, she hasn't seen anything up until the end of the episode. Spoilers. Right. Story, um, that would put <laughs> oh, any of Jerry. that in question like she's acting completely rationally in the situation she's in well and let me add to that though that you know because i i i I disagree on the whole she was annoying i think she was she was okay i mean she's a guidance counselor she's a shrink she's going to analyze and overanalyze things and she's going to be dismissive of things that you know are outside the norm because that's just that's her profession 
Um, on the other hand, I thought she was kind of endearing. That whole thing that she does when you get to it, we'll get to it here in a minute, but the whole thing with the kid Tobias and everything, I don't know. I I really liked the character. The only thing that was, and I, I don't really think the word annoying is appropriate, but that was um, logic almost to a fault is that, you know, it seems like her answer to the problem or her son's drug problem is, well, let's throw rehab at him again. Let's put him in a, in a place again, you know, and, and that's fine, but obviously it's not working. So you're going to need something in addition to that. And it, she seemed like, like that was the finality of the decision. Like we put him in a, in, in a place to get him clean and it'll all be fixed, you know? Yeah. I, I thought she did a good job. I mean, I liked I liked her performance overall. I was just talking to some other people saying, "Wow, you know, she was getting a little grating at times." I go, "Guys, hold on a second. It's not as bad as it used to be." I mean, you know. So I like what she brought to the table. Uh, you're right. I think level-headed, cool. You know, maybe like you said, to a to a fault. It was almost a little too too logical, too too cool-headed. She didn't seem enough warm and caring enough at points. But that's really nitpicking. She did a good job. Yeah, to, to me, she comes off like the proto-Rick, whereas Travis comes off as the proto-Glenn, uh, if we had to put them in those archetypes. Not that I'm saying that's where they will end up, but that's just kind of the feel I got for them um, in this episode. And Nick was Nick. I don't know that I would say he fits. Maybe maybe Nick was the Lori. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I really like, I like this actor, and I like, I like this character. I'm, I'm hoping he's around for a while. Yeah, and I guess the comparisons will stop between the you know the old show and the new show after a while. But I mean, it's pretty neat to see how these characters are forming. I really like Cliff Curtis. I love Travis. He was a cool character. He's, yeah. he's the kind of guy you'd want to have a beer with almost. I mean, I, I just he was right. surprisingly cool. I, I actually end up liking the guy a lot after watching this, this show. He reminds me of an English professor I had in college. Um, I had a couple of English professors in college, one who was one of the worst people ever and one who was a really great guy, and he reminds me of the really great guy. Well, then he is a really good actor because he's playing an English professor, so he is on his game. Exactly. <laughs> so he's going to stay at the hospital with Nick, kind of just watch over him, um, and uh, Madison's going to head to school where, she, like we've said, she's the guidance counselor. So she gets to the school... And we find out that a bunch of kids are called in sick. You know, they think the flu is going around, but she's fine. She had her flu shot. No big problem. Um, kid comes through the front door when she and the, I guess it's the principal are standing in there, a school superintendent, something along those lines, and uh, sets off the metal detector. So she jumps up. She checks his pockets. She pulls out some change, says it was that, and then tells the kid to meet her in her office. This is Tobias, who we mentioned before. Turns out he has a kitchen knife in his uh, pocket, and she wants to know what it's for. Is it bullies? Is it whatever? And he says no. And he starts to give us some exposition that there's been attacks in five states. He thinks the world is ending. And in, in I think, my least favorite Madison moment of the episode... She writes it off as, if there was something wrong, the authorities would tell us, and that's that. I thought that was that yeah. was the most dumb, dismissive thing I think a character could say. Like, even if you think that, you know, that's true, saying it in quite that way just seems really dumb, but yeah. whatever. Like I said, it was the one moment from her in the episode where I was just like, really? That's a line we're putting in this show? Okay, fine, whatever. Any intelligent person knows that the government's going to hide things until the last moment, but... <laughs> I even really if, even if it's the smart thing to do because you're trying right. to avoid panic, which right. would you know result in loss of life. But exactly, you know. but I I really like this scene. This is one of my favorite character moments in 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 the episode. Um, not necessarily that remark. I agree with you on that, Jordan. But her interaction with this kid Tobias and this kid Tobias, I I have a feeling we'll see him again. But 
he may just end up being a dismissive character at some point, but I really enjoyed this brief performance by the, the actor that played him. And, you know, when she's telling him, you know, come on, man, come on, Tobias, you're a, you're a smart kid. You're, you're, you're heading for college. You, all this other stuff. And he's like, I'm not going to college. Nobody's going to college. Great. Awesome. Yeah, it was a great performance. You're right. Lincoln Castellanos is his name. Lincoln A. Castellanos. I liked him. I wish we could see more Toby. He was good. Yeah. So we then catch up with the daughter, um, Alicia, and she's meeting her friends by the soccer field. Um, We meet her boyfriend, Matt, who is he's spray painting the wall. But I, I got the impression from the scene that it's, you know, it's part of a school project like the school is putting up. This right. uh, th- this art on the walls, and he's not just he, he's not the bad well, kid he, who's tagging. He mentioned something about the the lame images or something that he, he calls it paint by numbers. Paint by numbers, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is it's, it's pretty lame graffiti, if you even want to call it graffiti. But we'll meet up with him later on in the episode as well. Um, at the hospital, Nick wakes up from a nightmare, and Travis is right there, and. We, we start to see that, unlike in the first or the second scene, but the first scene in the hospital where Nick was like, nah, nah, man, I, I didn't see anything. All that stuff I was ranting about, you know, after I got hit by the car, like, it was just, you know, the rantings and ravings of someone who just got hit by a car. Here we get to see that it's it's not even that he's denying what he saw. It's he doesn't trust what he saw. Like, he doesn't know if it was hallucinations. He's never hallucinated on heroin before, which is what he had been shooting up there. But this is, this is, he's terrified because he doesn't know if he's going crazy, if he's hallucinating things, if it really happened. And all three of those options to him are terrifying in their own way. And he doesn't want any of them to be true. Yeah, good acting, though. I, I like, I like what he brought to the scene there. Really, you know, you could see, you could feel the emotion in him. You, you almost believe this guy is a junkie or he's recovering or something like that. I like what he was bringing to it. Yeah. He definitely showed the fear of the title fear the walking dead i mean you could just the the acting it wasn't so much what he said it's it's the look in his face the the expression and in his eyes you could just tell he 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 was scared to death and he wasn't scared so much about what he saw but the fact that he might be crazy that i think that's that's more frightening to him than what he saw or what he thinks he saw so that night, Travis goes to investigate the church with the information that he'd gotten from uh, from Nick. He climbs in through the same window that uh, Nick ran out of. I believe it's the same window anyway. Um, and meanwhile, uh, Madison is visiting Nick in the hospital. Uh, but we keep cutting back and forth. So Travis finds a freaked out junkie hi- hiding, and it's kind of the, the scare moment there. Or we think it's going to be the zombie, but it's not. Um, he keeps going into the, into the church. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Madison is kind of breaking down at, at the hospital while Nick is asleep. Um, and she, she's crying by his bedside. Meanwhile, at the church, Travis finds a pool of blood and he yells out to see if anyone responds. He keeps going in. Nobody responds. He trips into a pool of blood and viscera. And uh, and then we cut to commercial. But we don't see any zombies. We just see kind of bad things, but that could be zombies or could be just the general things you might find at a you know, drug den at an old abandoned church. I don't know. I've never been to one, but I'm assuming that's that's about what you'd find. So did Gloria just clean up those two bodies all on her own? Did she eat to the very end both those guys? And that's what was I left? Figured, or they I turned and walked out on their own. That's what I'm oh, thinking. Oh, I see what you're turned. saying. Okay, and then they uh-huh. walked, they stumbled out. Okay. I was just imagining, you know, she's just sitting there eating them till they're gone, and then she wouldn't be able to move herself, I guess. 
Well, like that, that like the zombie that ate Lori after she died. That's exactly what I was. I was thinking, thinking the same thing, right? But he was kind of stuck in the corner after that, right? He was like he couldn't even move. He was... Yeah, <laughs> tripped the fan coma. Yeah. So we come back from commercial. Travis comes back to the hospital to wake up uh, uh, Madison. Uh, he brought her a change of clothes, uh, and they head out. Then the sister Alicia comes in to talk to Nick, and uh, she feeds him some Jello because he's still strapped down to the bed. We get some good dialogue, some good exposition, also a little bit of clunky exposition. The whole Berkeley thing in there was a bit clunky, I thought. Like, why did that need to come up? But they they seem to have a close, if troubled, relationship. Like, that's the only real scene that the two of them get together, and I thought it was good, generally speaking. It was, and I think the whole reason, at least what I thought, I took from it, that they brought up the whole Berkeley thing was exactly what he was talking about, is is they're showing us the difference in, in, in Madison's two kids. He, he's a burned out junkie. She's a, you know, bright student with a bright future and, and whatnot. Or so she thinks. <laughs> right. Remember, no one's going to college. So Travis tells Madison that he went to the church. Um, and he tells her what he saw, but she doesn't believe him. Like you kind of said earlier, you know, she dismisses it as that's the kind of things you find in a drug den. And you get the impression that because of Nick, she's had to deal with this kind of thing before, minus zombies, of course. But she's probably seen some of this stuff before. And as gross and zombie-like we might know it to be, it's not that out of the realm of normalcy for what she's had to deal with, unfortunately. So Travis goes to talk to Nick. Interestingly enough, though, he doesn't tell him what he saw at the church um, because of uh, the conversation he had with Madison. I, I was kind of hoping he would put some of his fears to rest or reignite the others. It's unclear, but he, he never tells him what yeah, he saw Yeah, but I, I don't think that he saw enough to verify Nick's vi- what Nick saw. Right, but he doesn't even, like, tell him, I went there and there was no bodies or anything like that. I I think that would, I think he probably kept it to himself to not worry Nick more until he could get more information. I don't know. I just think he was looking out for Nick's mental well-being at the moment is what I might take on it. Didn't Madison warn, didn't she warn him saying don't enable him or something? Don't tell him what you saw because, you know, it'll kind of enable his fantasy life or his mental state and you don't want to do that. So she kind of warned him off. That's true, yeah. Uh, We catch up with uh, the daughter, uh, Alicia, and her boyfriend. They're hanging out above the school, and some type of sign or lighting implement seems to be high up. Um, She can't wait to go off to college. We get some more of that. Uh, And it's nice that we see that the boyfriend is showing concern for Nick. His name is Matt, by the way. Uh, And Alicia is worrying about Nick. Again, she and her brother seem to have a strong relationship. The boyfriend's being set up to be a nice guy. Spoilers, it doesn't seem like he's long for this world. But at least everybody is being shown to be likable and not just like, screw your brother, he's a junkie, forget about him. Like, everybody seems to be pretty nice. Yeah, they were up. It looked like a like a lighting they'd have on the football field or something. Yeah, is what they were yeah up I, I don't know what those are called. Um, lights. Lights. Are, well, yeah, um, lights. <laughs> I'm sure there's a more like technical name. For I the think they're called thing. stadium lights. Stadium lights, okay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, they took every opportunity in a cool way. This is reminding me to show that we're in Los Angeles. And I like that. They took as many wide shots as they could, especially on that shot when they kind of panned up to them on the 
stadium light or whatever we're deciding to call it, you know, you, you, you see L.A. in the background. And, you, you know, so you know you're not in Georgia. You know we're, we're somewhere totally different. And you get that feel throughout the whole show, especially about the ending. But we'll, I guess, get to there when we get to there. Right. No, no, absolutely. And unfortunately, from what I understand, that won't continue as strongly since everything after this pilot was shot in Vancouver. Um, but, you know, good things can be done with Vancouver. Lots of stuff you see is shot in Vancouver. Wait, and you, you I did know. not I know thought, that. Wow. They actually moved it to Vancouver? Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, yeah, it's way cheaper to shoot in Vancouver than L.A. Right. By, like, but, orders of magnitude, so. But the thing is, is I think Vancouver's been used as a doppelganger for L.A. before. Just, oh, hundreds of times. Just, I think there's a lot of similarities. Just like Toronto is used for New York a lot in movies and television. So, I... I, but yeah, they in Vancouver because they get a lot. There's a lot of tax credit and whatnot. Oh yeah, yeah. Backing of the arts there. So, by the government, by the well, depending are you, are you are they're going to be in Vancouver, Canada, right? It would be the Vancouvian oh, government of Vancouver. Yes, the British well, Columbian government. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's lots of you know. So that makes sense, but. I, I think they could still do, and and the thing is, is I, I'm sure they could do some get either get a hold of or make or shoot some you know stock footage for some scenes to put in the background and things like that. So oh yeah, I, I can't imagine stock footage of LA is particularly hard to come by. Exactly, seems like that would be an easier place to find. So uh, Madison shows up at school for I guess we're calling this day two, and the halls are pretty much empty. We see Travis teaching a half-empty class. Uh, this is where we get our Jack London man versus nature stuff from the trailer, um, and Madison watches from the doorway, and we get of course our line that nature always wins. But you know we had, we had talked a little bit I guess two episodes ago about the trailer and stuff, and we were worried that the whole Jack London thing was going to be too on the nose. I think in context it actually worked pretty well. I thought it was fine, and I, I especially liked the interaction with that one student, you know, where he says that was a good theory. Except for there's something that happens in this scene for the second time in the episode, and it's not the last time, that I felt that they were just telegraphing a little too much. You know how in even in The Walking Dead or any of Romero's stuff, you know, there's always that person that's turned away or they look like they're asleep or whatever and you, they go up you know hey jordan jordan and all of a sudden it, they're a zombie you know we first had it when with madison and the principal or superintendent or whatever he was right where she and then now we had it with the kids sleeping like they were building with the music and just the way the camera was moving they were building it up and then it was nothing and it was like okay and they i think they do it a third and fourth time later in the episode with other people and i'm just like okay that's a little bit over the head yeah you know i, I think you're right and, and you know they're doing it purposely and they've admitted this though because they say the audience already knows more than these characters do so they're going to keep throwing it at you like okay this guy could be a walker this one could be turning it's like you don't know so they're going to keep kind of tricking us that way and getting back to the classroom and on the head stuff in the uh, upcoming scene in alicia's class they talk about the chaos theory so like, yes. <laughs> so it's a lot of right. on the head teaching, on the nose teaching here on, on the uh, on this high school. In this high school. No, they're just very timely. That's all. Even if they don't know it. <laughs> uh, we head back to the hospital. Uh, our old man uh, on the other side of the curtain is wheezing. 
Um, and there's a nurse in there trying to convince uh, Nick to use the bedpan so she can get on with her day. Uh, he convinces her to loosen one of his hand restraints so he could actually use the bedpan on his own. And uh, after that happens, the old man flatlines. Uh, nurses and doctors try to resuscitate him. They can't. And then they wheel him out, destroying my theory for what I thought was going to happen with him. And as yep. soon as they leave, Nick loses, uh, loses his restraints, uh, grabs the old man's clothes, and he flees. And we get a nice big shot of L.A. There's some subtle words, though, that come out of the doctor's mouth. I don't know if you guys heard it, but it was um, – uh, I even quoted it here. It says, if we don't get a rhythm in 60, I want him downstairs. Yeah, I noticed that. He definitely wanted yeah. the guy downstairs, and I wonder how much he knows or if they just – if they're having so many deaths all of a sudden that it's like we need this room free. He said something else, too. He says there's too much we don't know. I watched the scene a couple of times. There's too much we don't know. So I think that downstairs – is don't open dead inside of you know of the, of yeah. the other hospital that you know you know another character woke up in in a different show quite possibly you know so I think they they already the hospital staff probably knows there was a the next scene over too the nurse was frantic when um, when Travis and Madison are looking for Nick and he's already gone and she's like there was a, there was a second death on the floor and things are a little bit rough right now so. I think the hospital staff definitely knows what's happening, if anybody does. You figure they would be some of the first people to know that at least something is drastically well, wrong. Well, if you remember episode six, or the season finale of season one of The Walking Dead, with Jennings, that was his name, right? Jennings? Dr. Uh, Je- yeah, I think Dr. so. Dr. Jennings. Something yeah. like that, yeah. Anyway, Jenner, remember... Jenner, he, yeah. Yes. Jenner, yeah, he... Um, he's, he remember he talks about the, the last days of... You know, communicating with the hospitals, communicating with uh, France was the last, you know, civilization that he was able to talk to. Yes, yes. Um, All this other stuff. So I'm betting, because Tobias had mentioned this was going on for, what, a week and a half or two, something like that? Two weeks or something, yeah, something like that. I would imagine by now the CDC has, you know, at least figured out that something's not right and people are dying and then coming back. Um, so I'm sure that they've sent out some sort of temporary emergency procedures to the hospitals on how to handle this, and they are. They probably have one floor or a basement or something that they're keeping people when they die in because they don't know what else to do with them, you know, and that would also explain why there was that whole locked-off hallway when Rick woke up in the hospital. Exactly. Right. So, so I'm betting all of this is CDC instructions that are that are out to the hospitals that unlike Madison said, the government is keeping secret from, from people to not create panic. Well, good old fashioned retrocon. Love it. <laughs> and we're now joined by Mr. Jim Dietz all the way from zombie country himself. Yay! In, uh, the Pittsburgh area. How you doing, Jim? Out here on the zombie farm, living <laughs> it up like Herschel. Yeah, that's me. So Jim, we're going to take a quick pause from our synopsis and ask you, what were your general thoughts on the pilot episode of Fear the Walking Dead? I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. Um, I have seen a lot of really good pilots this summer, and this was not one of the best. Um, like, for instance, uh, the, the show on USA right now, Mr. Robot, great oh, pilot, so awesome. really sucked me into the show. Uh, Wayward Pines had a really strong pilot. It was enough to suck me into that show. Um, this pilot, I wasn't overwhelmed, I wasn't underwhelmed, I was just kind of whelmed. I mean, I really, I expected to have my socks knocked off, and, and my socks remained firmly in place. <laughs> Fair enough. 
like we said, Nick has fled the hospital, and uh, we kind of touched on it briefly, but uh, Travis and Madison discover that Nick is gone, and Madison asks Travis to take her, quote, where it started, and we head to commercial. He's wearing some the old man's duds. Which I like, yeah, Nick yeah. is in the old man's clothes. At first I was like, man, those clothes do not fit him very well, and it took me a few seconds to be like, oh, right, because they're not actually his. And he's walking funny in them, too. Like, he had this funny limp walk, I guess, because he got hit by the car. It was kind of funny to see right, that the yeah. whole time, walking through the city with those clothes on. So after the commercial, they drive to the church. They pass a maybe zombie or maybe a homeless guy. I kind of like, they do that once or twice in this pilot. There's a few shots of people in the distance that could be zombies or could just be, you know, uh, normal people. That was one of my uh, the best devices I thought they did in this whole episode was them playing with that, you know, is it an apocalypse or is it just crazy homeless people? You know what I mean? Kind of. Like you said, a couple of times they played with that, and I, I thought that was one of the best things about this episode, to be honest. So they head inside the church. Uh, they find the pool of blood again inside. They find Nick's drug paraphernalia inside of a book, and uh, Madison breaks down on uh, on the bed where Nick had w- woken up in the beginning of the episode. And they eventually leave. Um, they don't find any zombies or, or bodies inside. And they go to the house of an old friend of Nick's, and he says he has no idea where Nick is, but apparently this was a friend, at least according to them, this is an old friend of Nick's who was involved with his drug past, but this guy has moved on in his life, that's the impression we get, um, and he has no idea where Nick is, but he he offers to help him look. His name is what, Clive or Clark or... Calvin. Calvin. Short for Calvin, Calvin, we find out later. Calvin, yeah. Drugs are bad, okay? Don't do drugs, okay? (laughs) He's not heroin. I don't think anybody's gonna argue about that. Uh, we catch up with Nick, who's out on the street. He buys a burner phone, and he calls someone, but we don't find out exactly who for a while. And he hides under an, an overpass. And we catch up with Alicia, who's at the beach waiting for Matt. Uh, she sends him a text, but there is no sign of him. Things are not looking good for the boyfriend. So Madison and Travis drive around uh, looking for Nick. Uh, they come across a traffic jam, and there's police cars, then there's helicopters, then they hear gunshots and they drive past the traffic on the shoulder, and we cut to commercial. Did anyone else notice that Travis's windshield was busted the whole episode? Yeah. I did. I, I At first, several of the scenes, I was, with the way the light was hitting, I was like, is that just rain it, or smeared? But yeah, I noticed it in this scene is when I noticed that there was a big crack. And it's an old, it's like a classic truck. I mean, a uh, Craig, you would know it's better It's a 64 or 65 F-Series pickup. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an old one. But I thought maybe it was a continuity error. Like, I thought maybe they hit a zombie at the end. Okay, spoiler, maybe they did. But, and they just didn't, and they shot this scene after that, and they decided not to change the windshield or something. But maybe there's a time loop that we don't know about yet. Maybe that's the big <laughs> twist. It's going to be like Lost. It's going to shift backwards and forwards and sideways and upside down. <laughs> but it'll be the smog monster, not the smoke monster, right? Because we are in L.A. <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> Did anyone notice that the uh, the track phone he buys, which is not a track phone, I'm pretty sure it says flip phone as the brand. You only see it for like a quarter of a second on screen. Oh, I didn't I'm pretty pay sure that, that was the brand attention. of the burner. I just noticed he was a burner. So, But if it was flip phone as the fake phone brand, I thought that was funny. That's pretty cool. Uh, on day three, after commercial, we come back to school, and this time there's almost nobody there. And I, I like this. I like that it was kind of, they don't really call it out too much in the episode, but every day when she comes back to the school, there's less and less people there, and it becomes creepier and creepier just based on how empty the school is. 
Well, like, I mean, and usually the zombie trope when the apocalypse is happening, it's just crowds and throngs of screaming people running for their lives, you know. This is kind of cool, like, when she comes back to the school and they're, you know, losing more people by, by attrition as it goes on. It's kind of an interesting way to kind of get that across rather than, you know, your, your screaming crazed mob that you normally get. Although, well, you know, we're going to get that too. Yeah. And again, the theory I had just said about the CDC's instructions and all that, um, it has people just disappearing for the most part instead of, you know, they, they've got a little bit of control on it before the outbreak just completely goes. So um, that makes sense. So she goes into the faculty lounge, and we see the faculty there watching some leaked footage from the previous night from that same car accident that caused the traffic jam that her and uh, Travis were in. Um, we see the car accident from above. Uh, the EMT is, is strapping one of the victims onto a back brace, and the victim bites the EMT. The police shoot him, and he keeps coming. And, you know, there's the debate of, is this real? Did this really happen? What could this be? Is it bath salts? Whatever. Um, I, I, I like how they're playing with this. You know, normal people, when faced with the zombies, just can find any way to rationalize it, and it, it makes it sound like they're being dumb. They're not. In a real-world situation, they're making the exact right comments they should be making and the, the exact disbelief they should be expressing, but because of the narrative dissonance and the narrative dramatic irony, we know that they're being dumb, even though they're really not being dumb. Right. This was also a good little homage to Romero there. The whole girl. That's what I was gonna the, say. Yes. The the whole yeah, that whole bit with and the uh, even the news report. I mean, the, we're straight out yep. the living dead. You know. Yep. Uh, I thought that was a nice little nod to Romero. Well, we catch up with Alicia in class, and no one is paying attention to the teacher who's talking about chaos theory, as I believe was Craig mentioned before. Um, and then at the point when she's about to tell them that they're, she's taking away their phones because they're watching the leaked footage instead of paying attention, uh, the principal or superintendent, again, whatever whatever his job is, announces a half day over the intercom and everybody leaves. And we see the panic is starting to set in amongst the population. And you get that look from Toby. Toby gives that glare to uh, yeah. to Madison. From the bus. Oh, right? man. Inside yeah. the school bus that's pulling away. That was great. I loved it. He just, he just, yep. you know, he's like, I told you, and just look straight ahead. That was a great look. Uh, we catch up with Nick, who is meeting his old friend Cal at a diner, which I think might have been the one from Pulp Fiction. But then again, every time I see a diner in LA, I think it's the one from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> it's, it's definitely been uh, um, uh, refurbished since then, if it's the same one. But I got the same feel. So this is Cal. This is the same guy that Travis and Madison uh, met earlier. He tells Nick they're looking for him. Uh, we find out that Cal is still in the drug business. In fact, he is Nick's dealer. And Nick wants to know if Cal laced the heroin with anything. Um, and Cal, Cal assures him it was just normal heroin. Whatever's happening has nothing to do with that. Um, and Cal seems to be comforting him, but at the same time, something weird is going on. Uh, they drive to... Uh, it's I want to call it the aqueduct, but isn't there a specific name for that in L.A.? Uh, so actually, it's uh, the Los Angeles River, technically. I mean, it's a man-made river they built, uh, I think it was after World War II. Yeah, it's like a, the, I just know it's very fun to r drive around in, in uh GTA. They call it the viaduct, I think it is. It's where the, the storm, yeah. the, the rainwater, it doesn't, doesn't rain that much out there. So, I mean, I wish Aaron was here. He can basically explain it all. But I think when it does, the, the water <laughs> needs to go somewhere. Aaron, could you explain weather? Yeah, exactly. They have like that mm -hmm. Sepulveda Dam is a big deal out there. and, and I, I always think of Terminator 2, though, when I see those dams, right? That, that's, the, yeah, that's the one movie that comes to my head. Yeah. Oh, of course. Or, uh, or Grease, or Repo Man, yeah, keep, or keep going. Live and Die in L.A., or, you know, any, any real, I mean, so many great, like, car chases and action scenes have been filmed down there. 
So they get out of the car when they're down there at the, at the edge of the river, and uh, Nick sees that Cal has a gun, um, and uh, they start scuffling. Nick fights him, and Cal gets shot with the gun, and Nick leaves, and he leaves with the gun there next to Cal, and he runs away. And we cut to commercial. After commercial, uh, Travis and Madison meet Nick under the overpass. He called them, um, and he tells them that he killed Cal. They go to the river, and Cal's body is gone, but the gun is still there. And uh, Nick breaks down because he's really starting to question his sanity now because he knows he killed the guy. Um, They head back through the tunnel that they drove through to uh, get to the river, and they see zombie Cal. um, And and, uh, Travis and and Madison get out of the car to be like, hey, what's going on? Can we help? Um, But, of course, Cal attacks them. Uh, Nick flattens Cal with the truck, um, and it looked like Madison might have been bit, but she's wearing a leather jacket, and they don't dwell on it, so I really don't think she is. Um, I don't think she did. Cal gets back up, so Nick hits him with the truck again, um, and uh, they go down to see the body, and it's still moving, and it has these nice, creepy blue contacts I noticed both him and Gloria do in the episode. Kind of a nice, you know, unifying look for the zombies. Did, did any of you also find it kind of, I don't know if it was a decision that was made a choice or if it's just because of the way they were filming it and where they were filming it but when they're first going through the little tunnel out to the the area where uh cal's body is it's very weird lighting and colors and it's like blurred all around the truck i don't know maybe it was just me but it just seemed like an odd choice for the way they shot that they pumped a lot of fog in that tunnel too if you look back at that scene when he starts getting up again the second time i mean they shot that i think to almost be the teaser you know what i mean that that's the money shot right there where you see the zombie coming up in the yeah, tunnel maybe. you know i yeah. think they may have played with the, with that a little bit we end the episode with uh travis and and madison looking at each other and say what the hell is happening and it's replied back, I have no idea. And we cut the credits. And again, that wide shot of L.A. at the end. They, they zoom out. You see the train coming and that big, you know, yep. cityscape. You know exactly where you are. And I got to say, that was another thing I really loved about this, not being in rural Georgia. <laughs> Just yeah. being able to see, you know, to see more of an urban setting. You know, I, I really appreciate that a lot about this. So before we get to our ratings for the episode, uh, Chub Toad, why don't you tell us about our sponsor for the Walking Dead TV podcast? Well, our sponsor is DCBS Discount Comic Book Service. They're at dcbservice.com. Um, pretty much one of the best websites, retailers, to get your comic books and comic book-related material, um, especially those in dealing with The Walking Dead. I'm sure everybody listening to this is a fan of The Walking Dead, since this is a podcast about The Walking Dead. Um, I but how that works. Uh, you can get 30, 40, 50% off on, on various different titles, uh, trades, and all, all manner of action figures, T-shirts, uh, other kinds of collectibles, uh, as well as their sister site, InStockTrades.com, uh, my personal favorite because I buy a lot of trades, and uh, you spend over 50 bucks there, which you can easily do. Uh, it's free shipping, and... Uh, I mean, it's pretty much 40-50% off most trades. To, uh, to our fans who just watch the show and don't collect comics, they have a whole buttload of Walking Dead paraphernalia, um, oh, Sherwin yeah. hoodies. Uh, the new McFarlane figure sets came out, which if you haven't seen them are really sweet. Uh, I picked up the Daryl and his chopper. The one um, they showed uh, on Talking Dead last night with with Dale's RV was really cool looking. Yep, I yeah, did not I, get I, I've picked so, it up. I mean, I've not put it together yet, but I have picked it up. 
Nice. So even if you just watch the shows and you don't follow the comics, you're bound to find something at DCPService.com that it will be you know to your liking and show off your Walking Dead fandom and save you a lot of money. Yep. Right on. So let's get into our ratings for the episode. Before we tell you our ratings, though, let's get Aaron's thoughts. Uh, Aaron North couldn't be with us tonight due to scheduling, but he did send in his thoughts on the episode. So he says... I basically found the premiere episode to be pretty dull. I had an idea of what to expect, and while this pilot episode more or less met those expectations, it is a bit of a shame that this spinoff did not do a better job to hit the ground running, even after literally beginning with just that. So far, I don't really care about any of these characters, and as good as Cliff Curtis and Kim Dickens are, more is needed if this show wants me to invest in this family. It's not even a matter of the lack of action. You all know I can give credit where credit is due when it comes to the zombie action, but the writing and characters are what matter to me most, and I found this episode lacking in the same ways many of the subpart episodes of The Walking Dead proper can be at various times. All that said, good atmosphere was created at times, I'm digging the score quite a bit, and I hope more is done with the urban setting, as long as they dial down the after-school special material about wild drugs are bad. I give it three knife-wielding Tobiases out of five. Wow. I've seen other people say similar things about, you know, the after-school special nature of it. I don't know. It didn't didn't stick out to me when watching the episode. I went in assuming Heron was bad. I came out thinking Heron was bad, and I don't think the episode really had anything to do with that. I don't know. It, it didn't feel that weird to me. The only thing that did stick out to me about the Heron was at first I thought they were trying to say that the heroine was the cause of this zombie outbreak at first. I was not thrilled about that because I don't think the show needs any type of, you know, explanation of where that came from. But by the end of it, it also didn't seem like that that's what they were trying to say anyway. But I was worried at first. I was going to be like, okay, tainted drugs are the source. That's dumb. But I thought Kirkman has stated many times that we will never know that the cause. And I certainly hope that's true. Yeah. But I was also worried that they were going to give us just enough that it would be like people would start assuming or start theory-crafting theory about why that was what it was. And I was like, I just don't need to deal with any of that nonsense. The zombies are here. It doesn't matter where they came from. So they may yeah. come up with, with, with a solution to monkeys, them, but they may, not, you know, may not never know where they came from is what you're saying. Or what Kirkman is saying, I should say. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So let's get into our ratings, or we generally call them for the Walking Dead Buster ratings, but as Craig has suggested, glory ratings. Gentlemen, what are your Gloria ratings for the episode on a scale of one to five? Of course, one being the worst, five being the best. And Craig, why don't we start with you, since you're the uh, new guy on the totem pole. And you no problem, and that doesn't have to stick. It's just something that came <laughs> up, but I, if it wants to stick, that's fine. I, I think uh, for a pilot, for what it was, I'm going to give it a four out of five Glorias. It was... Uh, if you compare it to other, you know, pilots that are out there or even other shows, it may fall a little short. But I like the, what they're, I like where they're going. I like the suspense they're creating. I like the characters that they created. I really didn't find any of them distasteful or unbelievable. I genuinely enjoyed this show. Uh, so four out of five for me. I have to say this was very middle of the road for me. Like I said at the beginning, there was a lot of great scenes that were. Uh, strung together by a lot of slow burn, really unnecessary moments um, that just kind of stretched it out. And middle of the road would be two and a half, but because I still did like it, I'll give it a three. I agree with Aaron there. Three Glorias out of five. I give it three and a half Glorias out of five. I I don't know. Like I said, I've uh, when I, I, I jumped on, I've seen a lot of really strong pilots recently. Uh, uh, shows that just, you know, right out of the gate have grabbed me from the very first episode. I was kind of hoping that this would as well, but it really wasn't that kind of thing. 
There were parts of it I really enjoyed. There were parts of it I just thought kind of drug on too long. I need a little more to the characters before I start really feeling emotionally invested. So that, that might be some of the issue here. Um, you know, the, the, the relative, uh, you know, small amount of zombie action, that might be another issue here. But, uh, I, th- I just thought it was, was, po- it was, it was decent. It wasn't great. I, I maybe, it's also my own expectations possibly as well. I really expected to be blown away. And the funny thing is I went back and watched the pilot for the original Walking Dead, uh, you know, uh, from the, for, you know, the first episode of the first season. And I was blown away by that episode. And this, did not so uh, 3.5 I was saying the same thing before the show uh, I, I went back and watched the Walking Dead pilot as well and that was I mean it does blow you away those iconic scenes you know that were in there so many of them so mm-hmm. yeah this it, it doesn't stack up necessarily to that but yeah I know I, I, I can't really be impartial because you know I read the books so I kind of knew the characters going in on the original and on this you know I don't so you know, it's going to take me a little while longer to really, you know, become in, more invested in these characters and really care and and, and give a crap about what they're doing and where, where they're going. But um, I just didn't think this was a super compelling pilot, um, not the way I wanted it to be and not the way I thought it should be. So three point five. I'm going to go with Craig on this one and give it four. I, I thought it was solid for what it was. You know, it was a slow burn. It was taking its time, but at the same time, I think. For the show to last for a long period of time, it did exactly what it needed to do. It spent time with these characters, letting us into the world, for the most part, before they have to deal with anything undead-related. And it's just, who are these people? How do they approach problems? How do they approach non-zombie problems, quite frankly? And how do they relate to each other? And I, I think once you have that, then you have a strong foundation for a show going forward, where when the zombies hit the fan you do care about these characters and you care about whether they live or die and, you know, whether their friends and family live or die, that kind of stuff. So did it blow me away? Absolutely not. It was a little bit paint by numbers, as uh, Matt says, you know, partway through the episode, but I think it was exactly what it needed to be. And I think it was a good representation of what it needed to be. I thought it was decent writing, if a bit paint by numbers. It was good characters, good acting from those characters. And I'm excited to see where it goes. It didn't knock my socks off, as uh, I forget who said that, or I think it was Jim said that earlier, but it also didn't put me to sleep, and I will continue to watch more, not just because we're podcasting on it, but because I did enjoy it, and I do en- enjoy these characters at least so far. So, four didn't blow me away, but solid. But Jim, who cares what us idiots have to think about this episode and have to say about it? What did our listeners on Facebook think about the Fear of the Walking Dead pilot? We have a very active Facebook group called, oddly enough, the Walking Dead TV Podcast Facebook group, and we'd be happy to have you join us. Uh, we're about 650 strong as we as we speak, and I know a lot more people are listening to us than uh, 650, so by all means, join the group, join the discussion, and join the fun. Uh, every week, we ask our listeners to post on said Facebook group their opinions and their glorias, and uh, here are some of them. Pamela Burton, four glorias. I thought it was pretty good. I'm interested to see the next episode. Uh, Brian Arnold, four staggering junkies out of five. A very good start. A slow burn, to be sure, but I expected that. I look forward to seeing the beginning of the apocalypse. Simmer to a boil. Mmm, delicious apocalypse. Uh, Hezron Mack, 1.5. Damn, did I just doze off out of five. Wow, Hezron. Uh, sloppy writing and bad pacing. Acting better than season one of the original, but they squandered that 90 minutes. Uh, Everard Santa Marina, I think we should name the ratings Calvin's because it's such an awesome name. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll take that under okay. advisement. Uh, 
I'll do four. I liked it. I heard it was a slow burn. I'm not quite empathizing with the family yet, but I can see the building blocks there. Yep, that's one heck of a dysfunctional family, all right. Standalone, not worth a four, but I got a lot, but it's got a lot to live up to. Uh, Mike Jones gave us 3.5 sick days out of five. Uh, last 20 minutes were solid. How about school is a half day due to the dead attacking cops and paramedics? So put your daughter on a bus and split up. Yeah, that seems like murky thinking. Uh, looks promising as a little, but didn't blow my socks off. Uh, Sheila Nelson Luther, four glorious, solid episode that left me wanting more. Uh, Elisa Gonzalez, four Tobias school shanks. I uh, really like the slow start to the epidemic since we never got to see that side of it in The Walking Dead. I can't wait for next week. Uh, David View the third four. Why is it not texting me out of five? Uh, the ending re- really raised the dead ranking on this one. Get it? Dead? Uh, unsure where the divorced mom and son fit into the picture, but it seemed like a blank slate that could have been devoted to telling the story of a more cohesive primary family unit. Uh, Darren Appel, four out of five. Basalt nightmares. Creepy beginning. Fresh walkers. Tension building. Walker principal. Fake out. Drug dealer. Karma. <sighs> And a long wait until next week. Uh, Mary Terpecchia, 3.7 Falling Bedpans. <laughs> Better than I thought it was going to be when they first announced the spinoff. Enjoyed the cast and found myself sympathizing with a few of the characters. A little slow going at parts, but that's to be expected too, I think. Definitely watch next week. Uh, Alicia Gonzalez also wanted to know, was she the only one shushing in my TV when Travis went to loudly investigate the church? They have so much to learn. Uh, Robert Nigro, 3.5, Junkie Communions out of 5. Not a bad start. I know it was slower than we were used to, but I think that's the point. Uh, the slow wearing away of people's ignorance is they themselves have their own isolated experiences at first. In-person leaked video, missing friends, etc. Uh, but did you notice how when the old man in the bed next to Nick Flatline, they tried to revive him to no avail, they rushed him downstairs? Seems the hospitals and other authorities already have long known what's happening, but the general populace has yet to be told. But let's see how that changes, hopefully soon. Uh, three, four, three out of four from Luke Smith. I guess he's grading on his own scale. <laughs> uh, I, I think this show has a lot to offer, but will be at a much slower pace. The hospital workers definitely know more than they're letting on as they move that patient straight downstairs when he flatlined. Makes sense as hospitals more to be the first to know when the dead rise. If I worked on a morgue, I'd be tying the cadaver's shoelaces together just in case. Smart thing, at least. And Richard Chopper Cherry Charrington. I give the pilot episode 4 out of 5. It was a good time. Slow pace. Start getting to know the characters. And the last 20 minutes were a good bit of edge of the seat action. AMC is making us to be over here in the UK next week. So I had to rely on other methods. Wink, wink. I don't know what he's talking about. What other methods? To Telegram. get to see it. Right. Pony Express. On VHS. Uh, I won't get the channel. And B, I want to listen to the podcast as they come out. Great to have you guys back. Well, thank you, Mr. Richard Chopper Cherry Charrington. We are glad to be back. And if you would like to join the discussion, also follow a lot of the Walking Dead news and uh, and, and a lot of other great stuff, please, by all means, join the Facebook group. It is, of course, the Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook group. Thank you very much. So do we have anything else to add about this pilot episode before we start talking about next week's episode, gentlemen? Did you mention the ratings at the beginning of the episode? We did indeed. They were very strong. They were indeed. I'm interested to see, because this episode was so slow, weeks two and three, how they stack up. Like, how how much of a drop-off do they have, if any? But hey, the numbers were strong for now, so that's a good sign. It's interesting, too, like The Walking Dead, you know, the the main Walking Dead show's numbers have just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger as it's gone on. It'll be interesting to see, you know, whether these do the same or contrast to that or whatever. 
Right, right. Just real quick, as, as just an open question, do you think this universe could, uh, you know, stand like even a second or, or another spinoff show after this? Like, I mean, if the popularity of Fear the Walking Dead becomes that of the parent show, I couldn't see any reason why AMC probably wouldn't want to expand, but do you think that would be too much? Or No, I really, and, and when they first announced that they were doing a spinoff, I was hoping that it would be this, but I get why they did it in L.A. and all that stuff, but I would really like to see this universe from another country's aspect. Maybe France, since they were the last ones to communicate with the CDC or... Um, you know, see what the World Health Organization's, you know, doing and dealing with this. You know, I, I don't know. I'd just like to see something outside of the United States. And, you know, because if this is happening globally, you know, the world is a lot bigger than just the United States. Well, something I'd really like to see if they do expand this, you know, franchise even more. I would love to see the rise of the governor's novels. Oh, done. yeah. This maybe like a series oh, yeah. of miniseries or a series of TV movies. That would, that would be awesome. That would blow my there's mind. a lot of story that could be told here. I mean, we can even take it from maybe there's some like secret SWAT team out there that's solving the virus. You know, there could be some crossover characters or something that you know uh, make it between the two shows. There's so many possibilities out there uh, around the world or even in the USA as far as the setting is concerned. But with the ratings like this, we're going to have Walking Dead, I think, for quite a while. Knock on wood. And I like that they spaced it out this way. So I've got now really 14 weeks pretty much lined up of Walking Dead action of one flavor or another, which is it's very good. Yeah, yeah, I would hope that if they were to do other spinoffs, they would skip the this portion of it, the actual outbreak, because there's only so many times you can show that, only so many ways. We've seen it in many other things. It's fine they're doing it here to set up these characters, but I think the show will only get better once they're past this but again it's kind of necessary the walking dead proper found a creative way to kind of step step around that but you know i, I would want to see maybe mini series like you guys were saying other parts of the world other parts of the country um just different takes on how people are surviving a year or two in that kind of stuff you could do interesting things there but i, I don't need to see the outbreak you know I don't, I don't need to see how the outbreak you know affected new york city or you know, uh, you know the the actual outbreak itself, not like you know years later. That could be interesting, but you know, zero day, day one, that kind of stuff. I don't need to see that in Nashville or in you know Dallas or in you know Santa Fe or whatever. We only need to see that once. So whatever they do, if they do anything else, I'd like to see it years down the line. I've got it. The next spinoff, The Walking Dead: Colon Smorgasbord, and it's set in China. Cause, okay. Well, it's the most populous area of the world, so it'd be like a big buffet for zombies, you know? Oh, I thought you were going with, like, Sweden with Smorgasbord or something. No. I was, I'm not sure how that was going to fit in. But yeah, some, something, you know, something like that could be very interesting, just how does it affect different cultures. Yeah. Um, you know, that kind of thing. But we shall see. So that's it for this week's episode. Of course, you can contact us all the normal ways. Um, you can email us at wdtv at hhwlod.com or, of course, check out the Facebook group like we mentioned earlier. And uh, we'd love to have you on there talking about The Walking Dead. Uh, but we're going to move into spoiler territory after the ending here. So just be warned about that. So until there's no more room in hell and the dead walk the earth, remember, nature always wins. Dun, dun, dun. And next week... 
on The Walking Dead, of course. If you don't want to know anything about next week's episode, tune out now. We, we, we will miss you, but we understand. Uh, next week's episode is entitled So Close, Yet So Far. And the brief synopsis we have from TVGuide.com is, As Madison struggles to keep Nick from crippling withdrawal, Travis ventures out to find his son before Los Angeles falls. And in the previews for next week, and I guess the preview wasn't really so much for next week as it was for the rest of the season, but we see zombies attacking and rioting, and, you know, we've seen in the tra- pretty much all stuff we've seen in the trailer, so there's nothing particularly spoilery there. Oh, I but thought the uh, Kings had won the cup again. Okay. <laughs> But, you know, it, it'll be, it is an interesting way to look at, like, things like an L.A. riot through the lens of, you know, not just rioters and police, but rioters, police, and zombies. Like, that's a new twist on things. That could be interesting. We, we shall see. But uh, until then, have a good week, everybody. Take care. Bye. This is episode number, I believe it's 140. Is it 139 or? Let me see. Yeah, this is 140. You guys weren't there for 139 because 139 was the uh, Breaking oh, Mad one. episode with me and Russ. Gotcha. Russ and I. Like, listen no. To that. I can check it out. Yeah, it, it, ended up, it turned out really nice. It was, uh, I was telling him afterwards, like after I was editing it, I was like, I wish I had like a, an hour and a half long diner sounds backing track because I would have totally put that in the background because it just sounds like two old friends having a conversation. You did that one time in the Jersey Shore, though. Didn't you, like, put the iPhone in the middle of the table and record you guys eating pizza for, like, an hour and a half? Yeah, yeah, yes, we did. (laughs) That was a fun one. I think that was one of our bonus episodes. Generally, I would do something like that for bonus because it was like, okay, the audio is going to be even worse than normal. Therefore, it's not an official quote-unquote episode. (laughs) And this one is just called Pilot, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which was kind of weird. Well, it's fairly standard for pilot episodes. Okay. I'd say 90% of them are just called pilot. Hmm. Occasionally you have interesting things like with Lost, you know, it's called the pilot because that's the episode where the pilot gets eaten. <laughs> or I want to say, what was that submarine show a couple years back with... Um, Mikhail's Navy? No, 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 no. The, the one where they like go AWOL and they have a nuke and they take yeah. over that island. Were they what? The what wall? They're, they're told to launch nukes, and they, they go AWOL and basically say, we're not doing it, and they take over an island. What's that called? The I ship or something? Or? Yeah. There, there was, um, Andre Brower was the, was the captain or whatever. I really don't remember that one. Mm-mm. Sorry. It was, pr- it was decent. Um, but anyway, I'm pretty sure, like, their pilot episode was called Captain <laughs> instead of Pilot or something like that. Like, sometimes people do interesting things with Clever. it. Clever yeah, I was watching that Talking Dead, too. I mean, Gimple didn't say anything again. It's like a whole hour of him not saying anything. Well, I mean, he, he can't say <laughs> I know, anything. I know. It's just it's amazing how he can do that. <laughs> Crystal makes but it entertaining what, somehow. But he says things without speaking. Mm. Like, isn't my face awesome now that I have this luxurious <laughs> beard? Yeah, what was with that beard? Like, is he making a cameo in the show as Homeless mm. Man? That's pretty funny. <laughs> he'll be like Oliver Stone. He'll appear in w- once a season in the uh, you know in the show. Appear once in every one of the shows. <laughs> um, blah, 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 blah. 
Uh, Nielsen estimated, and this is from Variety, by the way, Nielsen estimated that 90, the, I cannot talk at all tonight. 